ESPN LA 710. Hi, I'm LeBurn Cusack here for ESPN LA 710. This is The Experience. For more information about the show or to download a podcast, please log on to ESPNLA.com and go to the Experience page or check me out on Twitter at Laferne Cusack. Do you have what it takes to be a Los Angeles firefighter? We're going to talk about all this and more with the president of the Los Angeles Fire Department Foundation, Karen Wagoner. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you, LaFern. Tell us how you got involved with the Los Angeles Fire Department Foundation. Sure. It began when I was working for Mayor Reardon. And during his administration, I had the opportunity to work with every city department. At that time, I absolutely fell in love with the fire department. But there were no opportunities at the time. And I did the next best thing. And I became the president of the Los Angeles Police Foundation. I was there for nine wonderful years. And when my time was done there, there was an opening at the fire department to start the fire department foundation. And my mother said, what a great opportunity to get to go back to your first love. Not many people get to do that. So I've been with the fire department foundation now for six and a half years. And I think what's great about both the police foundation and the fire foundation is that city government touches Every human being who lives here or travels here or works here on a daily basis. And I worked for the federal government a while back, and that was great. But city government really touches all of us where we live. Our trash gets dumped and our streetlights usually work, and the police and the fire people are out every day to make sure that we're safe. So it's a way that touches everybody in Los Angeles very personally. Can you talk about your, your is it your daughter or your granddaughter? Oh, until she was about five years old, my granddaughter thought she would love to do that. And she's now a teenager and she's changed her mind. However, she's a really good athlete. She plays ice hockey and she runs cross country and She's the kind of girl the fire department really wants to recruit. Most of the women on the job had experience as college athletes, and that experience as a college athlete is really valuable in the fire department because you need teamwork and you need good physical skills. And many, many, many people in the department really did come out of athletics. Our fire chief played football. Our assistant chief and chief of staff played baseball. And many of the women played at top-tier universities, softball, basketball, volleyball, track and field. So the physical training and the teamwork that you get out of sports makes young athletes great candidates for the fire department. That's one thing that I, I always talk about on the show is, you know, your transferable skills. What can you do being an athlete? And knowing all that you know about, you know, like you said, teamwork and leadership and all of that and combine it into something that is really helping our community. The fire department's the place. Also, not only teamwork and leadership, but knowing how to take care of your body, good physical training and nutrition. Firefighters are in amazing shape. And it's because I think they have this total background to begin with, and then it's reinforced when you're on the job. And even when you become a firefighter or a paramedic, you're still going through in-service training and constantly upping your skills and upping your fitness. And where there are also many, many uh, teams. The, the main game in the fire department is, um, is handball, 
and it's it's huge. But on top of that, we have um, a bowling league, and there's a great ice hockey team and a basketball team. So there are a lot of opportunities to stay involved with amateur sports as a firefighter. Karen, was your family members, were they part of the fire department or the police department? How did it get into your blood? I think it got into my blood through city service. As I said, working for the mayor really gave me a sense of how city departments affect the people in our community. And what I want to say about firefighters is that there is a culture of service and nurturing and making do. And because they live in their fire stations on 24-hour shifts, it's their home. So they have a sense of family among themselves, but also tremendous hospitality. If, if you go to a fire station, you know, you'll be offered a cup of coffee or a snack, or for me, if I'm there at lunchtime, it's always stay for lunch. And they have that sense of service that is unlike any other group of people I've ever known. They also have a humility about accepting things. They don't like to ask. And they'll always say, hey, we can make it work, we can make do, and they do. So one of the great things about our foundation is we're telling them, you don't have to make do. You're worthy of the equipment we can buy you or the supplies we can make available. And I think for them it was a real shock to the system and one that now they're happy about. It's great to have support. Talk about some of the youth programs that you have that you incorporate the recruitment of future firefighters. Glad to. The goal of the youth programs is obviously the short-term goal of providing young people, and it's mostly high school and community college age, but providing young people with a safe and healthy career-building outlet. So when they're trained, they get physical training, leadership, they learn about fire fire suppression, they learn about emergency medicine, Um, they take very, very good care of themselves physically. They also get training in resume writing, in how to do an interview, many things that will help them regardless of what career they choose later on. They're also encouraged to take college prep courses and to get higher education as well, which is becoming more and more a requirement in the fire service. So the youth programs in and of themselves are fantastic for the students who participate in them. And then above and beyond that, the fire chief's vision is that if we can engage young students who live in the city of Los Angeles and get them excited about the fire service, these students will go on to get in the department and serve in the communities they grew up in so that the department will become more and more representative of the city, of our ethnic and racial diversity, and people will actually serve in the areas where they grew up. So they'll have a lot of familiarity with those communities. People talk about the division of, you know, public service um, in our local communities, but if you're within that community and you're part of the solution and you are learning about what it takes to help that community, overall, it, it brings us all together. And so we you think so. Yeah. And you see the young kids, they they may look at firefighters and, you know, see themselves in a firefighter, you know, so it's. Can you talk about how important it is to reflect your community within an organization? 
Well, I think it's it's very important because um, you can identify with whatever is going on in that community. A number of our firefighters right now, the ones working with our high school magnet program, they've assigned firefighters to the high school magnet that they graduated from, not as a magnet, but we uh, this year we started in Banning High School in Wilmington and in uh, Wilson High School in East L.A., and in August we'll also be at uh, Monroe High School out in the Valley and at Dorsey High School. And in each case, we're finding that there's a firefighter or a group of firefighters who grew up in that community, who graduated from that high school, who want to give back to those kids. So there's this great sense of identification. We also, the foundation is uh, partly funding something called Community Risk Reduction, and it's a program that identifies in geographic areas what's the highest risk. So it may be falling. Many, many um, seniors fall, and believe it or not, young people who are texting while they walk or talking on their phone when they walk are falling. So oh uh, falling occurs, <laughs> yeah, falling occurs in certain uh, geographic areas. Auto-pedestrian accidents, there are some hot spots for that. Um, cardiac arrest, there are some definite areas where that's more prevalent. Asthma, diabetes. So with community risk reduction, they look at where are these things occurring and how can we mitigate them by going into that community and training people. So there's been um, hands-only CPR training. There's been training about how to prevent falls. And the training may be done in a school. It may be done in a senior facility. More and more, or with a neighborhood group, more and more we're trying to be community-based with firefighting, with prevention, so that people will not have some of the problems that would make them call 911. <laughs> that makes sense. So how do you organize all of this and, and choose what schools you go to? Well, that was done uh, between the fire department and LAUSD, and all the schools are um, LAUSD public schools. And some of them, I believe maybe all of them, already had magnet programs in other areas. So the fire department makes the choices, and I have to say that with anything we fund as a foundation, we take the lead from the fire department and from uh, the fire chief on what the major programs are. So right now, our big funding is with the uh, Magnet High Schools, the Youth Cadet Program, which we haven't talked about yet, with the Community Risk Reduction Program. We, a while back, a couple of years back, fully funded the redesign um, of the fire department's website. We also provided iPads for every command vehicle in the department. So depending upon the needs of the department, we do that. We also have an Adopt-a-Fire Station program where individual fire stations can come to us for what they need in, in their fire station, in their home. So it may be, recently it's been a lot of washing machines and dryers. Before that, it was ice machines. Now we're getting some requests for uh, recliner chairs, which they use in their training rooms, often for kitchen appliances. So the city provides things to a new fire station. But once the station's up and running, there's very little that the city will replace. I think they do stoves and dishwashers, and that's about it. So we come in with the other things that the firefighters may need, 
coffee machines was another biggie. You know, they have anywhere from 6 to 16 people on each shift living there. They go through a lot of coffee, so they like the uh, restaurant institutional coffee makers. So those are the kinds of things we provide to the individual stations, and they make those requests directly. That doesn't go through the department necessarily, and we keep an account for every station. It is. There are 106 stations in the city. There's no budget for getting the equipment and the needs that they may have after they open up? Is that what No, no. And here's here's the reason. Um, The city budget... For the fire department, 96% of the city budget goes to salaries and benefits. So that only leaves 4% for everything else. Well, think about all the needs of a modern fire department. They need um, fuel for the fleet. Mm -hmm. They need utilities. They need office supplies. They may need a service on their wireless and their Wi-Fi and all of that. We don't pay for ongoing service. So there are a number of things that they need, and the city budget will not stretch to pay all of that by a long shot. So we're sort of a stopgap. We come in where the city budget can't or if there's something they need really fast. And... um, the city budget isn't going to be able to process it quickly enough. We we can turn things around very quickly. Wow, that's fantastic. So, so that's why we exist. Karen, you're talking about one of the programs that uh, we didn't touch upon of the name. Oh, of the, the cadets. Yes, cadets between the ages of 14 and I believe 21, and they serve at individual fire stations, and it's called the cadet post. And they get trained in many, many of the things that you need to do in a station. And it may start with them um, being a, uh, a kind of a gopher and, you know, washing the dishes and cleaning the kitchen and learning how to help clean the trucks and all of that. And as they progress and learn more and more skills, eventually they may be able to go on ride-alongs. And the cadets also have their own competition. So one of the things we help with every year is the cadet muster, where cadets from all over Southern California come and compete in different firefighting and emergency medical medical skills. It's really fun to watch. How fast can your team pull a hose, hook it up to a hydrant, get the water going? How fast can your team uh, chop through a railroad tie? Things like that. How fast can your team climb up six flights of stairs in full gear? So it's very cool. It's very competitive. And um, it keeps it's such a healthy, good, safe out, outlet for young people, for high school-age kids. Yes. So the cadet program is, is being revamped to be even bigger and better, and we're very engaged in that as well as the high school magnets. And then there's also a program for slightly older, more trained young people called Crew 3, and they are a hand firefighting group that does brush work, and we have funded just about all of their tools, and when there's a brush fire, they may go out with their hand tools and support the other firefighters, but it's a very prestigious group, and they do very difficult work, and they're really, really proud of it. And we're very happy to support them as well. And I know that each season brings on different types of emergencies, and you're talking about 
every community has their own challenges and you guys work towards that and eliminating the challenges each community may have. So correct. So let's talk like right now it's fire season. Am I correct in saying that? In- we used to say that fire season ran from August to December. And now we're finding that it's year-round because of the drought. So there are several factors with with fires. One is it's dry. Another is when we have very hot or windy weather, wind can really feed a fire. And one of the great things that the fire department does is their brush clearance program, which requires homeowners in the hills and in any um, high-danger areas for fire to maintain the brush around their home cleared. If they don't, there are fines and other ways of getting it handled, but it's a wonderful program, and knock on wood, if you look at how long it's been since there's been an urban interface fire here Mm -hmm. in the city of Los Angeles, it's not just luck. It's really great preparation and attention to the potential problems of of brush fires. But you're right. Normally, we'd say the brush season is much shorter, but now they're saying it's all year. Additionally, when there's heavy rain, you know, there are floods. And even when we had the recent rain for one day, they ended up rescuing four people out of the L.A. River. So you never know what's going to happen. And I think there's 17 federal disaster possibilities and Los Angeles has 13 of the 17. Yes. So we're at high risk for all kinds of bad stuff. <laughs> My friend from Florida emailed me. He said, I'd rather be here because you could see a hurricane coming. But in L.A., you don't know you know, when an earthquake may come. And I'm like, yeah, but that goes back to preparation. How how are we training our community to respond to that and have the like community volunteers and leaders co- go in and know CPR and and know what to do when a tragedy happens. Well, and just having the right supplies and there's a, a definite push right now to be sure that your home has enough water for everybody, including your pets, to be sure you have enough non-perishable food for everybody, including your pets, Um, to know how to drain water from a water heater if you need additional water. We have a, a small generator, and our neighbors know we have a generator, so that we've got a lot of different ways to take care of ourselves. And I know I could do better, but at least I'd say I'm good for maybe three or four days. And the ideal would be for everybody to be prepared for a week. Yes, yes. And uh, I was talking to um, someone from the city about uh, last year, and, you know, I got all my preparedness kit together, but you just dawned on me, I need to change out my water. And I talked to somebody who said her dad carries a month's supply of medications with him pretty much at all times. And I thought, that's so easy. Yeah. Especially if you're a woman and you're carrying any kind of a purse or if you're a guy who carries a bag, throw in extra medications. So if you're away from home and disaster strikes, you've got your meds. I thought that was very clever. Yeah. So, Karen, so is that the type of training you guys also incorporate for the young recruits? 
The young, well, the, the recruits definitely get that, but the teenage programs do include that. And there's also a program called CERT. It's the Community Emergency Response Team. And anybody in the city can sign up for that. It was started in the city of Los Angeles by our fire department years ago. And in addition to CERT for adults, we also have a teen CERT program. So if a Boy Scout or Girl Scout troop wanted to do teen CERT or a church youth group, that's available as well. And we do help fund CERT. And we provide backpacks for the teen CERT program that include first aid supplies and all kinds of things, uh, flares, all kinds of things you might need in an emergency. Yeah, and there's this uh, organization that talks about green sports arenas and and green um, areas for uh, athletes to play in and how much the fan can contribute to that in case of emergencies. So, like, you know, if we have a stadium, we know that, you know, the fans can localize and get everybody into that stadium to know hey, this is what we're going to do in case of an emergency, but then it's like green areas. It was really interesting. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very cool. That is. That's great. Yeah. Karen, so we were talking about some of the things that you do in regards to helping the firefighters, and some of the challenges were, you know, the equipment that they may need. Are there any other things that, you know, us as community – as a community partner may not know that happens within the fire department that are challenges. One thing is getting to know your fire station and befriending the firefighters in your neighborhood. They, um, unlike police who are on the street a lot and who are more visible, firefighters are usually in the house waiting for a call. So to go to your local fire station, Ring the doorbell, introduce yourself, maybe get a tour of the station, let people, let them know where you live, what any of your safety concerns are on your block. Um, I think that's a wonderful thing to do. It makes them feel more part of a community. And as I said, they are so service-oriented. I think, you know, in most cases they're just thrilled to have a visitor especially one from their own community. So that's one thing, just to visit the station. Fire service day is in May, but it's fine to ring the doorbell any old time and pay them a visit. I think that's very appreciated. Um, Being aware of what's going on in your own home and on your own street and pointing out potential uh, danger spots to your local fire station, they welcome that. So I encourage people, again, to make that connection. And then for us, obviously, we're a fundraising organization, and we can support the fire department best when we have the funds we need to meet their needs when they ask for it. So um, donations to us are always gratefully appreciated, and they can be done in a couple of ways. We do... um, memorial and and tributes like for a birthday or an anniversary and to fund the youth programs we have something called our youth garden and you can buy a brick for a hundred dollars and the brick would have the name of your loved one or whoever it is you want to remember or honor so there's a battalion chief who is very helpful to us i bought a brick with his name on it um 
friend brought a, bought a brick in memory of a deceased relative. And when the garden is installed, all these beautiful bricks with all these names will be there. And the proceeds from the sale of the bricks all goes to youth programs. So we turn around that money to be sure that we're taking care of the youth with, with this program. And it's just another way of, of helping Yes. Those programs where we're trying to be creative and it'll be a place where people can go and it'll be a very beautiful garden with, um, you know, commemorative features and a place where you can just go and be at peace. Um, we're very fortunate that um, an architecture firm has donated all of their design expertise and they're designing it and we're looking for a contractor to do the building part and then we'll get the landscaping donated so that we're not spending money on the garden itself, mm-hmm. but we're raising money for youth. Where can we find out more? Like if I want to, you know, I, I was telling you offline that my my parents just passed away this year. Like if I wanted to go, you know, purchase a brick and have my mom and dad's name on that, how would I do that? You can go to her, our website and I'll give you that uh, address. And you can make a $100 donation per brick, and in the memo section, just say, this is for a brick in the name of or in memory of. You say the wording that you want on your brick. And um, the place to go is www.supportlafd, that's all one word, dot org. Again, it's www.supportlafd.org and anybody can go there and let us know who you'd like to honor or memorialize. Now, when did you say do you think that this is going to be completed? Oh, I have high <laughs> Am hopes. Am I stressing you out? <laughs> yes, it's a stress. I have high hopes for having it done by June, but there are a lot of factors going into it, so we're going to say that's our our soft hope date. Yes. That will keep you posted. Yeah, no, I understand. I, I mean, being in the nonprofit area, I understand how important it is to have those that support and the partners that come on and donate the time and donate their goods to, you know, accomplish a goal. It's fantastic. And it's a never-ending process. It is. It is. It is a never-ending process. And you have to keep that fresh in the minds of people. So I'm so glad, Karen, you're on the show today talking about what we can do for our own communities and how we can, you know, bring in more young, fresh talent to support what our community looks like and feels like and what we can do to help. That is our goal and that is our hope. And I would also say to any listeners who don't live in the city of Los Angeles, if you come into L.A. for sporting events or theater or dinner or you work in L.A., it's your community, too, and the fire department is there for you. So we encourage non-residents to remember that it's their fire department as well and to also give generously so that we can sustain their good work. Karen, can you talk about some of the youth that you have come into contact with? Maybe you could share a story about how one of the programs have, has helped our community. Well, one of the exciting things is to work with some of the firefighters of varying ages who came up through that cadet program. 
it was then called Explorers. It's now Cadets. But um, there are firefighters all over the city um, who started off in that program, did it in high school, knew that when they were old enough and educated enough, that's what they wanted to do. We're, um, there's a young woman, and she's in the process. I can't say her name, but she's in the process. All through high school, she was in the cadet program. When she graduated from high school and went to community college, she then remained as a volunteer. We have youth fire academies. They are eight-week Saturday programs for high school students also, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And she became a volunteer at that program and what I would call a peer instructor and a mentor for younger students. She volunteers at a lot of my events. She's in great shape. She understands the fire service in and out. She did well on the exam, and I know that she's now in the interview process. She's a woman. She's Latina, and she is somebody who grew up in Los Angeles. So if we can attract people like that through the youth programs, it's magic. And also the academy program, which we also fund, is um, they do one in the harbor at Terminal Island, one in the valley, and two kind of central city with the students um, going from 20 different high schools on buses to our main training center. So the kids who go through this program um, are the kids that you would see in the L.A. school district and the kids that we want to have great jobs when they're ready and have great jobs and, and be able to serve the city. So all of these programs have that target. And some of these young people are so inspiring, and it's wonderful when at the end of this, uh, the programs, they'll write a letter to the fire chief and a letter to the foundation, and they're really just the most inspiring letters about how I didn't communicate well with my parents, but after going through this program, I've understood more about respect and about chain of command, mm-hmm. and I get along better at home, and my grades have gone up. So it, it's so rewarding to be involved in that and equally rewarding to support the people who are on the job. We have been told stories about equipment that we've provided that has um, actually saved lives, and that is just the most gratifying thing in the world to know that we've been able to help that way. Yes, absolutely. And I'm on your website now, again, supportlafd.org. And you guys are participating in the Los Angeles Magazine's Give LA Challenge. Can you talk about that and how it works? Sure. We're still in it. It's going until late December. And the Give LA Challenge from LA Magazine is involving 29 charities throughout the city. They published a um, magazine within a magazine, a separate bagged Give LA edition that went out with 50,000 copies of LA Magazine. And it lists all the um, participating organizations with an editorial page and with an ad. And I think ours is just the most gorgeous. We're really proud of it. (laughs) And then there's a crowd rise size. 
site. So the magazine directs you to the Crowderize site. But additionally, if you go to our website and donate there right now, mm-hmm. it will go through Give LA because they have weekly competitions and you can get different prizes, including advertising. And then at the end, there is a cash award for the organization that raised the most money. Now, we have a disadvantage because we're a small organization. We have 20 board members and three staff members. Mm. So I fear that somebody huge like the United Way is going to clean all of our socks, right? (laughs) But we're hoping that we can do as well as we can for a small organization, and I would encourage people to support that. And if anybody wants a copy of the magazine, the insert, we do have them in the office, and we're glad to mail them out. Awesome. Yeah, and again, support lafd.org for more information. Karen, where do you see uh, your organization going? We talked about how many things changed from a few years ago to now and how, you know, we're connecting with the youth now in different ways and new creative ways. Where do you see it going from here? I see a continuing growth of youth programs We're going from two to four magnet schools. I think there'll be a fifth coming on board in another year. We have seen a huge change in the department's needs for advanced technology. So we're doing more and more with technology, with providing them with really high-tech tools to do the work that they need to do, much of which is not included in the city budget. And finally, I'm sure people are not aware that 85% of the calls that the department gets are medical and rescue, mostly medical. So our um, our funding is going very, very much toward medical support. And we have a program that we started funding a couple of years ago with a foundation grant to create a nurse practitioner response unit. We have a Captain, a paramedic captain and a nurse practitioner, and they go out in a dedicated vehicle. They're operating in South Los Angeles, and they treat people on the spot. So if you're having an asthma attack or diabetes or something that is a chronic problem or a subacute problem, you don't really need to go to the emergency room, but you do need treatment. Mm-hmm. They can treat in the field. And if you need ongoing care, they refer to a clinic. And if you can't get to the clinic, we provide taxi vouchers so they can get to the clinic. Wow. And we've had some wonderful partners in supporting that program, and it's been successful. So we've done two things. We got funding for another nurse practitioner starting in January. Oh, great. And we... um, are in the process of applying for a grant to evaluate the program. Because if it comes out to be what we think it's going to be, we can promote the program to other cities as well as we'll know that it's a really good program here and we'll know what we need to work on. So it will reduce waiting times in hospital emergency rooms. It will take care of people where they live rather than dragging them to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And we're just tremendously proud of the program and um, hope that that we can keep growing our medical support because that's really where most of the calls come. How much communication do you have between other cities? 
Um, not a lot. There are two cities that have really great foundations. One of them is, as you would guess, New York, the FDNY Foundation. And then the other one is San Diego. And I'm close with both of their executive directors. And we do share ideas, share best practices, call to cry on each other's shoulders. <laughs> um, I've attended board meetings in San Diego and the big event in New York. And They've attended ours, so there's a really good relationship there, but most cities do not have fire foundations. Police foundations are the big deal. Mm -hmm. They're all over the country. They're older. They're very, very effective. But again, police know how to ask, and fire people are very reluctant to ask. So we're trying to get them to know that there's no no shame in, in asking for what you need. I wonder why that is. Do you know? It's the culture. It's just the culture. They think they're there to serve. It's the same thing with figuring out who should get a Medal of Valor or who's really a hero. They don't especially like to be called heroes. We're not heroes. We're just doing our job. <laughs> and when we try to get nominees for Medal of Valor, they're very you know, shy about nominating because they think, hey, we're just doing our job. Right. It's, it's, it's a great culture. As I said, all they want to do is be of service. And take care of take care of people, and if you ask them why did you become a firefighter, they'll always say, "Well, because I wanted to help other people." And then you also acknowledge a firefighter every month. How do you go about that? We kind of figure out because we talk to battalion chiefs or people in the department and ask them who they might suggest, and. Um, Sometimes just through our being around, we we identify somebody. The other thing is that for this year, um, the Tesoro uh, Refinery is giving $500 a month to the station where the Firefighter of the Month is based. So honestly, we're trying to pick stations that really need the help, stations in communities that might not be able to support them well. So, honestly, we're doing that, but at the same time, obviously, very worthy firefighters. And um, Firefighter of the Month program has become quite popular. We're really proud of it. So, Karen, with all of the firefighter stations in L.A., do you get to every one of them? How do you? How is that communication, you know, implemented? Well, there are three of us on the staff, and between us, we do try, um, you know, to get there. Uh, but when I came on board six and a half years ago, I said, okay, my goal, if I go every other Thursday to two stations, I should be able to cover 106 stations in a year or so. <laughs> well, I forgot one essential thing. Every station has three shifts. Wow. So it's really like 318 stations. Wow. Plus, there are specialized units like air operations, swift water rescue, urban search and rescue. There are all these specialized units, and we support them too. So there will be times when we're visiting one unit or one station more frequently because we have a project or something going on with them. So the truth is we haven't made it yet. We also try to hold our board meetings at fire facilities so that our, our board members become more familiarized with the inside workings of the department. How does one become a board member? Um, board members have a, a requirement. There's, because we're a fundraising organization, there's a give or get requirement. 
of an annual gift of $10,000 or more. And the way they do it, many of our board members, if you look at the board roster on our website, many of our board members are corporate and their companies support their being on the board. So Pelican, the light and case company, Motorola Solutions, CBRE, um, the gas company, <coughs> excuse me, many of them, uh, Wells Fargo, Hub Insurance, the company supports the board members give or get. Yeah. But then on top of that, the board members may make personal gifts and they also recruit other people. If you wanted to be on our board and you couldn't rate, give $10,000 a year, if you could raise it, that's as good as giving it. And um, we have a nice balance of men and women. We're looking for people from all over the city because we want to be very representative of the city. The board only meets quarterly. Mm -hmm. We have some special events, and obviously board members are invited to everything special in the fire department, like uh, recruit graduations or the family orientations, badge ceremonies, and some really cool stuff. Now, you mentioned that you also include, like, um, the offsets of the fire stations, like the Swift Water Bo Boat Rescue. Mm -hmm. is, is that some of the training that goes into the youth programs that you have? No, because you really need specialized skills. It takes, for example, about a year to train somebody to be um, a pilot, to do the helicopters, um, it takes a lot of training to be a paramedic. The Swiftwater Rescue Team, these are people who are stationed elsewhere as a firefighter paramedic and go out on call when there's a need for Swiftwater. And we have provided uh, one of the boats for them, and we're trying to raise funds for a second boat, uh, those rubberized Zodiacs. But the youth um, don't train for those specialized units because the level of background that's needed for that and all the other involvements with right. liability and they, they wouldn't be on call necessarily if they're in school, that kind of thing. How young can you be to be a part of any of the programs that you have? The youth programs, it's basically 14 or ninth grade. And the uh, to be a firefighter, you have to be 18 years old, although most join older. It's preferable to have college in your background because now promoting to captain more and more is going to require a college education. And honestly, the benefits that derive from all the ways of thinking and writing and all the things you learn in college are very, very beneficial in the fire service. You know, m my husband had worked with a former firefighter who was transitioning, trying to see how he can use transfer his skills into other, you know, uh, uh, another place in the workforce. And uh -huh. he was like, well, I, I was just a firefighter. I, you know, I don't have anything. I can't. And they sat down. And as the gentleman described what he did, my husband was like, okay, well, you work well under high pressure situations. You're able to, you know, think, you know, rather quickly and come up with a solution to problems. And it was like a long list of what skills you develop that are very transferable you know, 
Absolutely. You know? <laughs> and many firefighters end up in construction because they know every single thing that goes into a building. Oh, right, right. Right? So they end up in construction. They may even have a construction business on the side while they're still on the job. But many of them end up doing that. Some end up going into um, other kinds of public safety. Mm-hmm. Some teach at the fire academies around the country. There are a lot of opportunities. I mean, it's, it is definitely not an old person's career. Mm-hmm. So thinking about what can you do when, you're, when you retire is a good thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, because most of the people are still pretty young. Right. This is ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with the president of the Los Angeles Fire Department Foundation, Karen Wagner. And we are talking about how more youth can come into the fire department and the training and the youth programs that they have to help our community. Karen, can you talk about uh, some of the challenges you have in regards to the health of the firefighters? Yes, that's a good question. Firefighters are six times more likely than the population at large to contract various forms of cancer and skin infections. And it's because they are exposed to carcinogens when they're on the job. If you know, if they're working on a fire that is um, somewhere where um, you're burning plastic or rubber or any number of carcinogenic materials, the firefighter may be at risk even when they're wearing masks. So they have a very, very, very high rate of cancer, and sadly. This week, uh, we did lose one of our members, very young father, great guy, um, to cancer. So that's a big concern. What we've been providing for the fire stations is called an extractor. And the extractor is like a washing machine on steroids, and it cleans out the carcinogens from the turnout gear. Additionally, the city provided every firefighter with a second set of turnout gear so that one can be cleaned while the other's being worn. So there's no excuse now for having dirty gear. That has helped a lot and will do more evaluations of the ongoing cancer rate as as time goes on. Additionally, um, you know, there are other health concerns. Firefighters mess up their hips a lot. They mess up their knees a lot because of the physical nature of the job. And that is not something we can deal with other than providing workout equipment and, you know, being sensitive to the needs of the members of the department. Um, We also know that firefighters face a high level of PTSD and, um, and stress and that nationally the suicide rate for firefighters is pretty high. There is a behavioral health division of the fire department, and in fact we'll be meeting with them next week to talk about funding mostly technology that they need to create a better behavioral health program for the firefighters to be able to serve more people and they're asking us for assistance with that. So we're really excited about it because we know it addresses a very basic need in the department, and it's something that we'd be very, very proud to assist with. 
Um, so those are the kinds of things that come up with both physical and mental health in the department. And I think both our, our fire chief and others in the department and even our union all do pay attention to these things because you want to have a healthy, productive group of people working in the department, and we want to know that they're cared for in every way, physically and, and mentally. Do you see anything coming out in the future in regards to gear or protection for um, health and safety? I think what they have, I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but, but what we see is is pretty darn good. And the the motto of our training division is, train as if your life depends on it, because it does. And I think people really do watch out for each other. And I don't know what's going to be coming up, but whatever it is, if they need us to help with it, we certainly will, because our top priority is the health and safety mm-hmm. of our firefighters and paramedics. So when it comes to that, we're, we're totally committed to that, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, exactly. Uh, Karen, I know that we talked about uh, financials before and, you know, what we can do to donate or uh, be part of volunteer opportunities. Um, Can you talk about your grants? Like, do you have someone specifically on your staff that writes the grants or do you have people write grants to you for help? There is a grant writing unit in the fire department. Most of what they apply for are federal grants and some California grants. So at the foundation right now, I'm the principal grant writer. And fortunately, more and more companies and foundations are going to online grant applications. And honestly, those are a bit easier to do than the old format where everybody wanted something very, very different. We also, when we need to, there's a consultant who is a wonderful grant writing consultant, and we pay her an hourly rate to help us if we must. And I guess my biggest dream in terms of the growth of the foundation would be able to hire a full-time fundraiser who could take some of that load off of me on the fundraising, allowing me to devote more time to our board development to our um, ongoing relationships in the community and to more strategic planning to answer some of those questions you asked. Sometimes we are very reactive because with a staff of three Mm -hmm. serving a department of 3,200 sworn and 300 civilians, we're spread pretty thin. I'm very proud of the fact that we've been quite effective, but we could do even more with another pair of hands. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's the one thing that we oh, I was talk about is like, you know, how can you go from being a re, reactive in what's happening to, you know, proactive and, um, you know, having these programs that develop and maintain instead of just reacting to things right offhand. And that's hard for us. Well, small remember that we, we respond to the fire department. So it will always be somewhat reactive just because we do what they need and we don't give up what we think they need. So we'll always be responding to them. I'm not going to tell them what to do. (laughs) Right. No, no, no. It's like like going into communities and you've never been there before and you're like, okay, this is what you're going to do. They're like, "Uh, exactly. (laughs) Okay, we don't need that. 
I did a lot of community work, um, you know, with the mayor and in the Peace Corps, so I know better than that. <laughs> and I would never presume to tell the fire department what they need. No, but isn't that a, a, like a lot of people, a lot of organizations who may not have the insight that you have or uh, other people that may not be of the community, but they see things happening and they're going, okay. And it's not out of any malice or anything. They just have like this big heart and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do to help this community. And the community's like, yep. well. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, we exactly. don't have that. We're gonna we're gonna put this park in the community for this or whatever, and the, they're like, okay, well, actually, what we need is a school, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So it's fun. Karen, can you provide any tips, or do you have any advice you can share with maybe um, a young prospective uh, firefighter that may be listening, or you know, an athlete that can transfer their skills into the fire department? I would certainly suggest that they look at the Join LASD website and find out um, what is going on in terms of recruitment. Recruitment is going to end, I believe, December 16th for this round. We've had a lot of training classes with more to come, but we're nearing the end of this first round. There will be more. And so I would advise looking at the joinlasd.org website. Also, going into a fire station and talking to the people who work there, because the people who are most successful in becoming firefighters usually have a mentor from the department. So I would highly recommend getting to know somebody in the department who can give you guidance. And then um, there's a, a written exam, and then there's a very lengthy process of background checks and um, um interviews and all of that. So I highly recommend checking out the website, talking to somebody in the department about what your skills and desires are, and then um, going through the process and being patient with it. Also, anybody with paramedic training really has a leg up because, as I said, most of our calls are medical. So people who can go in the door as a paramedic have a distinct advantage. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I thank you again for sharing your experience here on the experience. Karen, if more people want uh, more information on how to join a youth program or, or more information on your organization and to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Well, there's a way to do an, in, um, an email on the website or the number at our office is 310 310- Five five two four one three nine. That's three one zero five five two four one three nine. Again, the president of the Los Angeles Fire Department Foundation, Karen Wagoner. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Laferne, it was so much fun talking with you. Thank you. I'm Laferne Cusack here for ESPN LA. For more podcasts and downloads, go on to ESPNLA.com or check me out on Twitter at Laferne Cusack. Thanks again for joining me. I'll see you next week here on ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.